Stick, Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Johnny King, and you're listening to Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's Monday, which is really weird because usually you watch the race on a Sunday, have a few beers, glasses of wine, and then report record the podcast. But today I've been at work all day, and now I have to try and remember what happened yesterday. That's because of the time zones. Let's talk about that. But on the show today we have Michael. You're back. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Good to be back. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. We have... Um, <laughs> you'll understand why I'm laughing in a minute. We have uh, Dan, the Bottas fan, looking sheepish. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, ready to talk about yesterday's race. Good stuff. We have Cal, who's just taken a drink just as he knew I was coming yeah, to Yeah, I really wasn't ready for that. I thought you'd go to Matt first, but you didn't. And I'm spoiled that Matt say, oh, I've ruined it. Hello. <laughs> Intro dusted. Nailed of it. course we have Matt here. <laughs> Matt, you have sunglasses on, mate. Uh, this one is specifically meant for everybody here to see the lunacy that is anything to do with the sun in Texas. So uh, without further ado, tell me you were at the USGP without telling me you were at the USGP. Because you're American. I, oh, I sh- brought my racing stripes <laughs> home, boys. <laughs> oh, Matt, you look like a boiled egg. Yeah, you genuinely look like a boiled egg. So, um, we will put this video on our on our uh, podcast group, Facebook group, wherever we'll put it. But Matt is the the bottom half of his face is what kind of call that? Yeah, cherry, and the top half is um, luminescent. It's 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 whiter than white. <laughs> it's reflective, is what it is. Look at the shine on that. <laughs> it's literally. The hat never, which never came off, covered to about the eyebrows. The sunglasses never came off, and I may well have just ostriched myself into a thing of sunscreen to keep my face from burning. And that wasn't happening because the beard takes precedent, and now I'm paying dearly for it. Don't make me laugh; it hurts. <laughs> so if you don't shave the beard off, for God's sake, I've made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a Japanese flag if you've shaved the beard. Off. I have no idea how I'm supposed to even this out. I'm about to get really intimate with spray-on tan and red food dye. My God. So if you haven't worked it out, Matt was at the Grand Prix yesterday. Um, did you have a nice time, mate? No. Uh, I had an absolutely wonderful, mind-boggling, reality-bending time. Uh, the crowd was absolutely bonkers. We'll get to that later. But uh, I think after COVID, everyone needs to go to an F1 race now because it was hype all around that track. No, it was unfair. And and me and Cal were saying this. This was unfair. Cal, why was it unfair at the US Grand Prix? Well, they had grid walk. They got to go on the track at the end of the race. You know, there was people there. Matt got to go and see our our friends that are in F1 as well, which I'm so jealous about. I don't even want to be speaking with you at the moment. I got to see more of Silverstone. I got to see more of Max Verstappen go around the track on Thursday than. Damn it, I was just about to say that. And and Matt saw his favourite driver, but you beat me to it. Leave it on. So, Matt, were you wearing an Aston Martin hat or were you wearing a Ferrari hat? Aston Martin hat all weekend. 
Hmm. Uh, no Tafosi red other than my face touched my body. <laughs> Supporting I, I had a theory. I had a theory on this. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to have one of those like magicians with the quick change curtain. So every time Seb came past, you were green. Every time Charles came past, you were red. And I we were honestly just see this curtain in the crowd like constantly shaking. Are you getting changed behind it? But I'm speaking know. directly to uh, Lawrence Stroll with this one. If he had reduced the cost of the Aston Martin official merch just a little bit, I guarantee you I would have cut a Ferrari shirt and an Aston Martin shirt in half and sewed them together. But when you're paying $50 a pop for a hat, and I think it was like $90 for the cheapest Aston Martin merch there, I'm not cutting that in half. Uh, really I, I got a budget. You know that Aston Martin jacket that you really wanted, right? How lucky oh, are you there. that you didn't buy that? <laughs> it was there, and I walked by it, and I had... I was just drunk enough to consider it a couple times. <laughs> what was the temperature like, the, like actually being there? Because usually it's cold as hell. And, and I mean, last time, well, a few years ago when I went to Silverstone, can't remember what year it was, but it was like 35 degrees and we all looked like you. Um, this year it was boiling. Ask yeah. Was it, was it as hot as it seemed? It was hotter than it seemed because of the sun. Uh, so 89 degrees Fahrenheit comes out to 31, 32 degrees Celsius. And it was that all weekend. Uh, and it just, it was relentless. There were these little brief moments of hope where a cloud would pass in front of the sun and you would start to feel the beginnings of a smile in your soul. And about the time you're like, Hey, this isn't that, that half bad. It was gone. And then you're right back to sizzling on the surface, but it did make for some interesting things on track, despite, uh, everybody's (laughs) torment at its hands. And honestly, I think the overall morale of the place was just too high that by the end of the weekend, nobody even cared. We were just happy to be there. I've got to be honest, it, it looked absolutely mega. And I, they went into qualifying with 0% chance of rain, right? Mm-hmm. Did your did your Sebastian Vettel hat get wet? Uh, my Sebastian Vettel hat did not get wet until Sunday. Uh, it was, which I actually, I learned an interesting fact. And I want to see if anybody else here knows this. Uh, I think all you know, I've talked about this before, but when you see that there's a 40% chance of rain, I learned that does not mean that there is mathematically a 40% chance of rain in the quote unquote prescribed area. It is actually that 40% of the people in that area will see rain. And that was a little bit of a mind boggling revelation. <laughs> we like I was, my wedding. <laughs> yeah. I was that many days old. <laughs> when we found that out I honestly I never knew that to the point where it was your fiance who told me that and I I, I called BS and I had to go and google it on my own and then came back looking a bit sheepish and changed the subject I mean it came from Haley we have to call BS on that (laughs) well she was right so uh, anyway don't tell her that what we are talking about What we are talking about is the US Grand Prix. Now, usually this is when Lewis wins the title. He's won there six times. Um, Usually it's my favourite race of the year, and it falls on my birthday week. It's my birthday tomorrow. If you're listening, it's probably tomorrow today, so it's today. Send happy birthday emails to info at formulanerds.com. But... Matt, you were there and you met some pretty cool people. Now, we've got we've had a big fan since we started this Formula Nerds business um, by the name of Rich. And I saw a picture of you and him. I was like, for sake. Yeah. Uh, so we, Haley and I decided to go to this race uh, in the middle of COVID and started purchasing our tickets and decided to elevate our experience, if you will. 
Uh, so we went through the F1 experience packages and it was an amazing event. Uh, on Thursday, had live on the grid with Crofty and Lando Norris, got to see pit stop practices, did a pit lane walk, tore the track on the driver's bus, and just and, 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 and. It was, with the exception of about five laps of racing, the best part of the weekend. And uh, knowing Mr. Rich was down there, uh, <laughs> I traipsed through the entire pit lane straight towards Red Bull, just looking for anybody with a name tag that said Rich, and uh, two gentlemen were covering up their pit wall, and I asked Haley as I was taking photographs of Seb's car and scrutineering, obviously, uh, to go see if they knew who he was. And she goes over, she's talking, I return to photographs, and I hear, ah, 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 behind me. Uh, Rich was out there, and he was kind enough to uh, you know, take a photo with me. Uh, I actually met up with him later on in the weekend, had a very lovely chat with him, uh, and he's he is the embodiment of the Red Bull F1 team, you know, about fan culture being first, wanting it to be more open, just an absolute stellar human being. Uh, he's provided all of our subscribers and followers amazing insights up and down the paddock week in, week out. Uh, so first off, you know, tip of the hat and thank you to him from me, but also from the nerds in the whole, just an absolute amazing gentleman. That was wicked. I didn't expect to see that photo. I tell you that. I thought, well, Rich, he's far too important and busy to talk to us. And then I see you with a picture of him. I was like, that's Red Bull Rich. <laughs> Absolutely awesome. Absolutely wicked. So, yeah, big up yourself, Rich. Um, but, yeah, what what a week it was. I mean, Matt, you you, you just said that you, you drove there from Tennessee, right? I thought, well, Callum thought that was a half-hour drive from where you live. <laughs> didn't you, Cal? No. <laughs> no, I did think though. Then the reason for this joke is that I thought Vegas was quite close to Tennessee. It really isn't. I said, "Yeah, yeah, we'll Not do that all. in about three hours, won't we?" And Ollie's brother-in-law absolutely ripped me a new one and proved it was more like twenty-four hours. So, yeah, the, the, everywhere's half an hour away now in America. Yeah. If only. <laughs> it's actually a, a fourteen and a half hour drive. Uh, we left Tuesday at about two o'clock in the morning just to try and circumnavigate a lot of the bad commutes. And unfortunately, we also did the same thing shortly after the race to come back so I could be here with you lovely people. Don't ever feel undervalued because I'm never doing that drive again after a race. Wicked. Right. Before before we start, you've just reminded me of something, Cal. Um We've said that it, it's my birthday. I'm not going to say how old I am, but it's a big one. And I'm not 50 or 21. Um, 40. Yeah, he's 40. Everyone. I'm definitely not 40. Yeah. Look it. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. thanks. I, I, well, I was, I was 18 when I started the Formula Nerds. Um, but check this out, boys. Who wants to describe what they're seeing? Uh, Dan the Bottoms fan. Ollie's helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Phrasing. <laughs> That's what I'm. Ollie is holding up. Uh, is it a mini? I can't tell. Uh, Lewis Hamilton's helmet. I can't tell how, how big it is. So that that was that was the first present I've got so far, right? And what a present to start with, Michael. What do you think of that as a as my only fellow Lewis Hamilton fan? I love it. I love it. I want it. Yeah. Yeah. So right. it is Lewis's uh, twenty-one helmet. Not He's only half an hour away from Cal, so Cal can go mug him and get it for you, Michael. Uh, Cal yeah, tried yesterday. I, I, I had the honour of holding Ollie's helmet last night. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the attention to detail is incredible, to be honest with you. It's 
especially considering it's half scale. It's amazing. Smooth finish. <laughs> smooth finish. <laughs> is it matte or is yeah, it? Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a matte finish. It's really nice. Right. Do you polish it? Matt is not finishing <laughs> his helmet. Well, listen, I think, I think talking about looking after polishing helmets, all this type of thing, we have to take a quick moment to talk about our new sponsor. We will be back with the US Grand Prix review in just a moment. Support for Formula Nerds Cut to the Race podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FORMULANERDS at manscaped.com. You know, with F1 always being about innovation and cutting-edge technologies, Manscaped falls right in line with that. You want something that's fast in the straights and hugs on tight in the turns, and that's what you get with the lawnmower. You know, they have wireless charging that extends the battery life. Uh, For me personally, uh, you don't ever want to get caught halfway through the session and then realize you don't have enough battery deployment later on. So that's why I personally utilize the lawnmower 4.0. So we are here, obviously, to talk about the U.S. Grand Prix. Um, Matt, were you at all the practices? How, how were they? Because I didn't manage to watch them all, I'm not going to lie. If there was an F1 car on track, I was there. Hence the uh, the hue. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, I don't really remember much of practice one or practice two because of my mental capacities were depleted at the time. Uh, may have been inversely related to the amount of alcohol consumed at that time. Uh However, the general consensus going into the weekend, you know, historically, this has been a Mercedes-dominated track. That was kind of the rumor mill going around, you know, will Red Bull have an answer? Will they be able to maintain and keep it close? Will Czech will be able to provide that rear gunner support that Max needed going into the weekend, etc.? cetera? Uh, and throughout the weekend, we thought there was a lot of holding of the cards close to the chest, even though, you know, Max was blitzing. Uh, there was also some very pleasant surprises from the McLaren camp. Uh, even as of Tifosi, uh having some great pace, uh, Dino Ricardo looked on form, did not seem to put a step out the entire buildup through the weekend. Uh, but going through all the practices, it was all still excited, but unknown because who knows what games were being played at that time. I'm just going to have to pull you up on something, Matt. You were a Tifosi wearing green. I was. Well, my, fa- my face my face matched, so my soul came out. Uh, I, I did support Sebastian Vettel all weekend. I think I saw a grand total of maybe 30 people in Aston Martin gear. Uh, funny aside on that, uh, I think our old friend Emma will really enjoy this fact. Uh, there was a lot of Aston Martin merch left that had Lance Stroll's number in the merchandise counters, and all the sub stuff was gone kind of makes you wonder a little bit about where the true loyalties lie amongst that team's fan base, but... That's like when you go past the Mercedes shops and all the 77 stuff still there. I knew it? that was coming. <laughs> it's I on discount at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it may have been why there were so many Botas fans wearing hats out there, just because, you know, we have to do that balancing act. Beer money, merch. So if you can get the cheaper hat and still rep your team, you do that. Or was it because the Americans didn't know what number Lewis was? I if you see any merch stores, my countrymen. <laughs> you see any merch stores with Bottas merch? I will happily accept any Bottas merch anyone wants to send me. Well, Dan, 
mate, you, you, you're going to get flooded with it because it's uh, it's not going to be worth anything very soon. Well, now. Um, so let's just talk about... Do, do you have anything to say to that? Me? Um, no. Just... Okay. Uh, just Agreement. That, no. Um, Bottas has won a race more recently than Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. And he's not winning the World Championship. Neither is Lewis. Neither is uh, Lewis. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> Excellent. So there, wa- there was a, a, a poll done about who will be on pole. That's uh, a difficult sentence to say. Um, this was an official F1 poll. 27% said Sergio Perez. 33%, which is Max Verstappen's number, said Lewis Hamilton. And 40% said Max Verstappen. So should we talk a little bit about qualifying? Brundle thought it was one of the greatest qualifyings he's ever seen. I mean, what did you make of it, Michael? Yeah, quali. Let's talk about quali. So, I thought it was brilliant. It was really, really good. I genuinely thought when it came down to it, um, Lewis had it. When I saw that purple sector come up, I thought, that's it. He's pulled it back. And then Max just pulled a blinder. He was on form. I can't even knock him. It was great. Cal, as a as as the Verstappen fanboy, um, what are your views on Quali? Thought Max pulled it out of the bag, just like Michael said. The odds were probably a little bit against him, um, but to be fair, I thought Mercedes were, um, especially Q one and Q two. I thought Mercedes were quite slow, um, so I was thinking that they'd actually be pipped to the post by uh, maybe even McLaren or Ferrari as well, but. No, Lewis obviously pulled out one of his magic laps and uh, it just wasn't quite good enough. It, it was exciting because when it came in, we certainly thought it was good enough. Uh, Dan, what did you make of uh, of Collie this weekend? It was all right. I mean, there were no major surprises. Uh, Mazepin got in someone's way. That's, yeah, no, no major surprises there, really. I mean, we had quite a few engine penalties heading into it with Alonso, Russell and... Seb starting at the back um, so they just had to sort of battle it out between themselves to see who would start at the back and who would start second last who would start third last and we knew that Bottas had an engine penalty as well which must be his what 80th of the season um, uh, probably is, is 79th mate is another another new internal combustion engine for Bottas to own him five places so yeah he was on a losing battle there already against his own team ice ice baby yeah, that's what someone said. Kimmy's the Ice Man and Bottas is the ICE Man, which made me laugh. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's well said. And Bottas on his Instagram story said he's going to start a shop with selling engines when he leaves Mercedes. Thank you, Callum. Um, so yeah, that that was no major surprises really. I actually have a couple questions because uh, obviously trackside and the amount of people we had, it was very difficult. Normally. I pull up the F1 TV app and go along with the analytics, go through sector times and all that and nerd out. And that was not happening this weekend. Uh, so did Mercedes botch the toe? Well, listen, Dan knows all about toes. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that um, Bottas only has nine toes. But Dan, I'll hand it to you. <clears throat> so... I believe it was Hamilton's week to choose who goes out first, who goes out second. He wanted to go out second to get the toe from Bottas, which is fine. But I don't understand why Mercedes then sent Bottas out before every other car. There's nine other cars he can then get a toe from. 
why did they send him out first so he can't get a tote at all? Whether you like Bottas or not, what I can't understand the thinking behind that. You can send him out behind, I don't know, Gasly or Sonoda, who are both in Q3. I don't know why they didn't do that. It makes no sense to me. Can I just say something, Dan? Obviously, you defend Bottas week in, week out, but when are you actually going to accept that Mercedes don't give a shit anymore? I have accepted it. However, I'm annoyed by it. Yeah. Uh, it's funny it's, you mentioned. It's senseless. It, it does amuse me that you mentioned Gasly and Sonoda, but we will get into that part. Uh, Michael, what were you? What, what was uh, your thoughts on that? I have one question, and I may have missed something. But does he really only have nine toes? No, <laughs> no, it's a damn conspiracy from a few episodes ago where uh, Bottas didn't. Bottas didn't get the toe. Um, I said that they sent Bottas out without a toe and Ollie made possibly the most dad joke I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, guys. But um, yes, I like that. He does only have nine toes. Cool. Um, but Mazepin also didn't start last, which was probably the first time this year, I think, maybe. He didn't well, not start last on merit, though. Let's not forget that. Well, yeah, no, and that's that's my point. He started in what was it, seventeenth, with everyone else having penalties behind him. He still qualified if, last. Yes. I should not give him too much credit. He was still slowest. I will say this, and it was it was fairly naughty, uh, but I will admit openly that I giggled at it profusely uh, every time that Mazepin came around during quali, facing the right direction. The entire they applauded him all the way around the circuit. <laughs> And it was cheeky, and it was delicious, and I found myself joining in like the bully that I am. Good. So in Q1, we did lose. In Q1, we lost Stroller, Tifi, Raikkonen, Schumacher, Mazepin. Not much surprise there. You could argue Stroll's a bit of a surprise. In Q2, we lost Ocon, Vettel, Giovinazzi, Alonso, and Russell. That's not good for Russell. I mean, he was starting at the back anyway, but um, Vettel. So, Matt, what did you do in Q3? Uh, literally, no, it was... I don't think, did Seb even come out in Q2? I think he came out for two laps in Q2. No, just he to set, set a representative selection. lap. I believe... Looking at the times, he did, because Giovinazzi was behind him and set a 135.7. Seb set a 135.5. So he Q2. had to hold it off. That's... Understandable. Good memory, Dan. But uh, through Q3, it was literally, <laughs> you know, watching the Ferrari McLaren lap times because throughout all the practice sessions, Ferrari were there. Uh, but I think for me personally, I really bit into the hype and the buildup surrounding Ricardo doing traditionally well at Coda. Uh, obviously, there were off track other occurrences and events that happening there that were bringing him to the forefront of the coverage uh, at the track. And I just, I was hoping to see more of a, that same Mercedes Red Bull battle trading lap times. And that didn't really happen. It ended up being a delightful mixed bag on the quality results, but I didn't, ex- I didn't see enough of the punch counter punch that I kind of expected. Uh, but at the end of the day, we all knew it was going to come down to the last lap magic, and Max had the last laugh, and that was, uh, for me, as I was watching where I was with what limited info I had, uh, literally timing on my stopwatch, (laughs) uh, it shocked me and the whole place. The electric feeling as that 
crescendo built, all knowing what was coming uh, and to see the payoff was wonderful. And of course, Red Bull were very well represented here because of Checo. So they had a lot of crossover fans excited to see Max pull out the pole. Now, I'm just, I've got to ask a question as an F1 fan, which I am. I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. We've seen a couple of times this year some crowd noise, right? And we saw it in Hungary, and I remember it really specifically in Hungary, where an overtake happened where there wasn't a crowd at that part of the track, and you suddenly heard a huge roar of crowd noise the instant it happened. Let's just remember that TVs and things, they take a minute to go through. So, Matt, the crowd noise was unnatural and I just want to ask you having been there right was it as loud for Lewis as it was for Verstappen and was it every damn lap yes uh especially for Checo as well uh I was sitting in turn four but I mean turn one I don't actually know if you guys know this turn one is such a slow speed corner the drivers can actually hear the crowd noise in the cars there so and the general mission areas were laughably full uh, but that place erupted every time somebody's driver went past in Q3 and the explosion when that final pole lap was seized by Max uh, was uh, electric. I mean, it still makes my hair stand on end thinking about it. You can't tell because I don't have any up here, but my arm hair did. <laughs> uh, but every single lap, every single go around, it just exploded. It was that, unreal. That, that honestly gives me faith because the way I heard it on TV and obviously uh, running a podcast, editing a podcast, I hear these things, right? But all you suddenly heard, it's silent all lap and then suddenly this huge, uh, too loud eruption of roar where it just sounds like they just stuck a fader up with some canned noise, right? But I'm so glad to hear that because I, I was sitting there going, sod you, F1, you're faking this. I will I will unequivocally say, I don't know what they did throughout Quali, but the roar you heard for the last lap for Max was real because everybody in that place was on bated breath, leaning forward, biting finger. I mean, I'm not a Red Bull fan. I mean, I, I, I applaud them. I love the team, uh, you know, but my driver is seven. I'm Tafosi. But as a fan, you want to see that that occurrence. You want to see that battle, and it was rewarded. Just want to talk a little bit. I've given Perez a lot of crap on the podcast, but he did a very good job in qualifying. He, for only the second time this season, I think in qualifying, has done his job. It's been a three-way fight every week, except Imola probably. And Perez was ahead of Bottas, which he would have been anyway after the penalty. But he actually qualified ahead of Bottas. And looking at the times, he was a couple of tenths away from Hamilton. Uh, sorry, a couple of hundredths away from Hamilton and a few tenths away from Bottas behind him. So he was very close to the top three. He had a really, really, really good qualifying. So fair play to Perez. Absolutely. And he didn't quite turn out to be the wingman in the race, but we're going to talk about that. And more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Support for Formula Nerds Cut to the Race podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FORMULANERDS at manscaped.com. You know, with F1 always being about innovation and cutting-edge technologies, Manscaped falls right in line with that. You want something that's fast in the straights and hugs on tight in the turns, and that's what you get with the lawnmower. You know, 
they have wireless charging that extends the battery life. Uh, for me personally, uh, you don't ever want to get caught halfway through the session and then realize you don't have enough battery deployment later on. So that's why I personally utilize the lawnmower 4.0. So it's a USA Grand Prix. Now, Matt, you also watched the W Series when you were out there, who obviously we've had quite a few drivers on this show. I believe you met one of them as well. I mean, um, you did an interview on this podcast, though, and you, you weren't happy about that. No, I was not. Uh, you know, obviously the national pride, Sabre Cook, uh, just an amazing woman, terrifyingly intelligent, a ferocious racer. Uh, Thursday night, she was there for the Live on the Grid event, and I couldn't help myself, walked over and introduced myself as her absent crush from the Formula Nerds podcast, and she immediately, you know, like, oh, yeah, and Talked to her, extremely personable woman, uh, great support for her and the W Series on the whole this weekend as well. Uh, she finished a respectable 12th, I believe, uh, but the W Series drivers were absolutely incredible all weekend. Uh, speaking of wishing Abby Eaton a full recovery immediately, uh, I would dare say that the W Series quality, because this was their championship decider, was more intense than the F1 qualifier. And it may be a little bit sacrilegious, uh, but <laughs> it was absolutely wonderful. Every one of them I got to interact with. Uh, I think I spoke to uh, Jamie Chadwick in passing, uh, got a thumbs up from Abby Pullen, and obviously had my uh, fangirl moment with Saber Cook. Uh, you know, tip of the hat to all of those women for an amazing event. And Jamie Chadwick absolutely destroyed in that championship, actually, she won both races, and it was it was never even close in the final decider. It, it, she just ran off with it. So yeah, she did. She did. Congrats to her for a well deserved championship. I've got a question about W Series that I have been wanting to ask on this podcast for a long while because it's a conversation piece that I often have with my family who are Formula One fanatics as well. Why do we feel that W Series is not broadcast? on the same streaming, on the same wavelength, on the same channels as Formula One. When you look at the support races, Formula, you know, Formula Three, Formula and Two, two. Yeah. Uh, you know, why, why do we feel that is? Because personally, I, I really think it should. I think it's a great series. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a difficult one for Matt to answer. Um, I'm not sure no, how it's they, for everyone. It's I'm not a, sure how they broadcast question. it in America, but um, certainly in England, Matt, uh, Michael, I've said exactly the same thing. I mean, I said it to Callum yesterday. Um, you have to hunt to watch W Series. It's not pushed at you, right? You you don't stumble on it. No. And I think the other problem is it's half on YouTube and then it's half on the W Series YouTube and half on the Channel 4 YouTube. Um it, it, it's a shame, I, and I don't know the reason. I mean, I can I can guess the reason, which I'm not going to, but um, I, I, I think it's a shame. But if you think about it, it's the same with Extreme E, which admittedly is not a, a Formula, Formula One um, support event. However, it's equally as hard to consume it. It's actually a pretty simple, uh, easy answer for why it's not in America. Uh, as far as I'm tracking right now, F2, F3... W Series, all of that is not televised on a main broadcast. Uh, only the actual F1 feature race and the Kate. I think quality is as well. Don't I don't want to misspeak. 
Uh, it's just commercialization. Unfortunately, they do need more sponsors. They need more support. And it's up to us to support that series going forward and let people, you know, the powers that be know that that's important. We need that as a motorsport community. We need that as a global community going forward. Uh, you know, American broadcast, there's a reason I don't rely on ESPN. You know, I not to not to brag or anything, but, you know, I rely on F1 TV because a it's all piggybacking off of the Sky Sports broadcast anyways. Uh, and it's the only way I can guarantee anywhere that I am that I can see the race because there are just really goofy ways that ESPN segments up the country here to where you may have blackouts. Uh, so it just it needs more of us to you know bang that drum and say we want the W series to be broadcast. Uh, I would dare say that it's a more important. I don't know. I, I, I won't even dance around the bush. It's more important than F three to me. I agree with that completely. Uh, not to be seen as you know a, a woke social justice warrior, but these women deserve that chance. The same way that the guys in F four, F three, F two have you know scrimped and saved and fought and clawed their entire life, these women have done the same thing with even more of a hurdle put in their way. Because, and one of the things that I may kind of burn a bridge here, but I'm okay with it. Uh, one of the biggest gripes I had about this weekend was the on-track announcer at Coda during the W Series kept saying, the girls, the girls, the girls. And I heard a couple people murmur the same thing. They're still drivers. And if we're going to preach equality and racing as one, they need to be seen as drivers first. Their gender does not matter. I know for a fact every single woman on that grid would embarrass me on technical knowledge and behind the wheel skills. And we need to recognize that. And like I say, I keep saying it, support that as a community because the real change is going to come from us as a fan base. The sport won't change the world. The fans have to change the world that sport occurs in. Exactly. And uh, I watched the race yesterday with Cal. Um, Cal, we had a discussion on this, didn't we? Yeah, we did, mate. And I actually said that I believe, you know, women should be in Formula One already. You know, Jamie Chadwick's absolutely bossed it this year in W Series. Abby Eaton potentially could be there as well. And, you know, she's got a massive following on social media. There's no reason why she shouldn't get a sponsor to be in Formula One. And I feel like, you know, there's plenty of women out there as well who probably have a better skill set than, for example, Nikita Mazepin. We all know the only reason he's in F1 is down to his dad being a Russian billionaire. And... Um, you know, there is probably women out there who could drive that house better than he does week in, week out. And I think it's such a shame that they're not being afforded that opportunity. Um, yeah, many of the W Series drivers probably do deserve a spot in Formula One. But an F2 car to an F1 car is a massive jump. So an F3 car to an F1 car, that's an enormous jump. So they, they need to be some scheme where they can get into F2 a lot easier than they currently can. Because F3 to F1, whatever age, gender, however much money you have, is never going to happen. And, and that's how they're driving, obviously. Just for those who don't understand, don't get what Dan's saying there, W Series are essentially F3 cars. Yeah. So I think they deserve um, a chance to prove themselves in F2, along with the guys. They should That should be a mixed gender grid. But I also think that you know, if they're not willing to do that, they at least need to upgrade those W Series cars to F2 sort of standard and maybe have two W Series series, an F3 and an F2 sort of um, standard series. And, I, you know, I, I'd be all for seeing a woman in F1. And I think 
If anything, I'd probably support them a little bit more. Um, and I don't mean that this to come around the wrong way. They would immediately be in an underdog um, because everyone would look at them with such prejudice. That, and they shouldn't, but they would. And I would immediately support them a that little bit more because I would want them to do well and prove everybody wrong. So I hope that came across the right way. But you get what I'm trying to say. No, no, it, it did, it did, it did. And, you know, we've had this conversation. And I think, um, well, Sky, Sky, and I thank Sky for this, and I, I thank our friends at Sky for having Dana Patrick um, presenting this weekend, right? Um, she said something amazing, didn't she, Cal, where we both stopped and looked at each other. What was it that she said and we both went, She said they always they always asked her what it's like racing against boys, and she just said it's not about racing against boys; it's about being the best racer. I mean, Matt, she's she's an American. What what do you make of that? I am not the best person to speak on this. Uh, you know, Danica Patrick. Uh, I didn't follow NASCAR; never have extensively. Uh, but with her time in IndyCar and NASCAR. She it's the same affording of opportunities. She never had the sponsorship, even as popular as she was to get into a true title contention. Uh, the one thing I would say about them being drivers first is I would love and I will do this myself is look at some of the driving resumes for these women into in the W series and contrast them against some of the men driving in F3. It is a stark difference. Uh, you know, Sabre Cook. Uh, well, let's look at Sarah Moore. Sarah Moore is a very, very junior driver and, you know, BTCC national champ, all these crazy things she has done. And she's, and I don't want the same way as Cal said, I don't want to come out the wrong way. She's quote unquote, only good enough for the W series. Absolutely not. That's, that's a bunch of crap. Uh, so I think there needs to be a difference in the uh, compare and contrast there. But, you know, Danica did set kind of that trailblazing path for women coming into motorsport here in America, at least. Uh, that's, even for me, the easiest name I can latch onto is the first and the pioneer. I'm sure there are others out there. There are two women that have, have driven in Formula One before, but that needs to be the norm. It, should, it shouldn't be a novelty. It shouldn't be a shocker. It shouldn't be an event. That should be the norm. And do we feel, uh, for me... If I look at it and Red Bull's junior driver program, I think that should be, and they should have that. Uh, Matt, you touched uh, on a message that the feeder series should be leading into Formula One. Why do we not feel that Red Bull are doing this? Why aren't Red Bull putting females into their junior teams? Why aren't teams doing this? Uh, I think that is purely because, like I said before, it's prejudice. And if they were seen, they, they one team has got to be brave enough, basically, to bite the bullet and say, no, we're going to have a female driver in our team and they are going to be one day in Formula One driving for our team. And, you know, Matt's just sent a message into the Zoom chat. I'm not going to say this came from my mouth, but he said that um, Helmut Marco could be a big part of that as well. And that could be true. You know, the older generation, a lot of these guys running these teams are older generation, old heads. They are not people of change. And we see this throughout the world in everyday life, not just in Formula One. The older heads struggle with change. And we're in an ever-growing world, an ever-growing society. Women need to be included in Formula One, full stop. But one team has just got to come in and bite that bullet and do it. And I know Ferrari, I can't remember her name, and I'm sorry for this, but Ferrari have a girl in their driver programme, don't they? 
I know that Aston Martin have Jessica Hawkins as their driver ambassador. Yeah, so and I, Aston Martin have Jessica Hawkins, but Ferrari. I do it, not remember the one for Ferrari now. I can't remember her name. I know she's only like sixteen. Um, very promising driver, and I believe she is in the academy. You know, working. Yeah, there was a competition, the wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. So at least Ferrari and uh, Aston Martin are doing it. Red Bull probably will follow eventually, but you know. Again, it's prejudice and people being afraid to bite that bullet and put themselves forward to be part of that change. Yeah, and sorry, just as a, a responsible broadcaster, I should say, that wasn't a stab at Red Bull. It's just that when you think of a junior driver programme, the first one that pops into your head is the Red Bull junior driver programme because you do see so many come up through that programme. You know, you look at the Mercedes programme, you have George Russell uh, coming through that, that vein. But when you look back at it, you see so many drivers, Alex Albon, uh, you know, come all the way through, be replaced, all that switching. They lead... For me, they lead that program in a junior driver uh, program, and I, I think that they've got the right uh, platform to be able to do that. I think a lot of the girls in in the sport will will also tell you the one thing we haven't mentioned, which is um, cash money. Um, it takes a heck of a lot of money to race um, in any category, let alone. Um, the, the the more senior ones, you know, you don't get paid until you get into F1. And even when you do, you're lucky if you get paid. Um, and I think the one great thing about the W Series is that they don't have to pay for it themselves. Once they get in there, they're, they're selected to be in there. But again, there's however many drivers in W Series, there's however many drivers in the world that love motorsport. Cal? Yeah, just touching on the cash issue there. Um, this happens from all the way from grassroots. Obviously, we know Samantha Hemshaw very well. She's been on the podcast before. She's a driver in the Supercar Championship in the UK. And she races against the lads. And I, th- I believe at Silverstone, she got... She might have won a race, actually, or P2. P2. Um, but she, she absolutely bossed it. Yet she was telling us, you know, she has to conserve tyres thinking races ahead. She uses the same tyres pretty much for the season. And there's lads in there who've got all the money in the world turning up in big fancy caravans and stuff like that. And they're changing tyres every single race. And, you know, that obviously has an um, impact on performance. Yet she's still there bossing it, getting a P2 around Silverstone on the same tyres that we saw her use at Alton Park about three months before. So the talent's there. They just need the backing. And that proves it. Well, she does have the Formula Nerds logo on her car, though, doesn't she? She does, yeah, because she's the boss. Yeah, indeed. So, yeah, shout out to Samantha. Um, I think we're here to talk about a race that happened. Um, By the way, shout out to the W Series. It was an absolutely, before we move on, it was an absolutely wicked season. It is now finished. Um, our team spoke exclusively with the drivers as well over the weekend. So if you want to read any of the analysis, any of the interviews we've done, we've also had them on the podcast. Just check out www.formulanerds.com. Honestly, these these they're the future. And there's nothing you can do to put these girls down, which is absolutely why I love it. And um, yeah, we've, we've got exclusive interviews. We've done podcasts. Check it all out. They're fantastic people. Fabienne is my favourite but they're absolutely all wicked. Matt? I will say one more thing very quickly about the the cool factor of the W Series and what that does for the fan base. Uh, on Saturday, I actually went and sat in the Turn 1 general admission seats at the top of the hill, 
And there were a group of people in front of me wearing Saber Cook shirts and came to find out that two of the women there actually went to school with Saber Cook. Uh, and they're like, you know, we've heard she's racing. We didn't know it was this big. And, you know, we're going to tell everybody. It, that's the spirit that the W Series brings. And it feels almost like the the F1 Grand Prix of old to where you see the drivers so celebrated, you know, like charging Mansell at Silverstone and everybody, you know, mobbing him. That social media presence is kind of doing the same thing for the W Series. And, you know, the more if we can get my daughter, for instance, I have a uh, daughter and I want her to be able to look at a woman and say, Daddy, I want to do that and make those new generation of fans that will uplift, support, promote, etc. that series, uh, you know, going forward. I think you nailed it, Ollie. The W Series is how we grow F1. And I just saw that message. <laughs> going forward, the W Series is how we grow motorsport internationally and to make it more welcome and inclusive a community as we all want it to be. I had my first proper proud father moment. Uh, I've got a daughter who has just turned four. And uh, the other day we were in the car and she, uh, she turned around and she said, we go faster now. Now, as a dad who drives, not, I don't drive fast, I do drive fast. But to have your four-year-old turn around and say that, I feel exactly the same way. I, it's something that I'd really love to see her get into and respect. So I think it is on us as a generation to be able to, uh, to, to take that to them. And I, I certainly look forward to the future. And, uh, and seeing some women in, in, in this sport. Absolutely. So, Matt, you always do something which I absolutely love you for. Ever since we first met, we, and I think only you and me laugh at this, right? Which is the fact that uh, we review the national anthem for every race. And we have huge banter in our group chat over this, and no one else ever finds it funny. I find it hilarious. You find it hilarious. This weekend, I found it even more hilarious than I've ever found it. Um, how, was, how, how was the American National Anthem for you this weekend, mate? Let's see. How do I put this delicately? Uh, interesting. It's a trick. <laughs> It was shit, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I was pretty upset. Like, we're, it was in Texas. Surely we could have gotten somebody better. Uh I was I was actually really disappointed at the buildup. Uh, so I said to Cal, I said, mate, wait for this. The Americans are going to pull it out the bag for their national anthem, right? You've got helicopters flying over. You've got all these drummers with things in the end of their trumpets, which I didn't understand. Um, but I, I overhyped this, didn't I, Cal? I mean, back me up on that one, mate. Yeah, we well, we both did, because I thought, yeah, this is going to be pretty good. Matt's going to be loving it. I can't wait to hear this story. And then he started singing, and me and Ollie just both went, oh, God. I'll put oh, it this no. way. I think that America may have forgotten about the national anthem and the flyover. Uh, the national anthem was extremely lackluster. And here's a fun fact for you. Those were not American helicopters in the flyover. Get out. It was a Chinook, wasn't it? It was a couple AH-64 Apaches, a CH-47 Chinook. Shout out for U.S. Army. Give me that info. Uh, but it was actually Dutch pilots for that. What? I tried very hard to schmooze them. They actually are a uh, specialized demonstration unit in the Netherlands, and they actually had on their flight suits a patch specifically for this race. And there's 
Forget buying that $300 overpriced Aston Martin jacket. That was what I wanted from this weekend. Didn't happen. But uh, yeah, we actually- The Dutch flag, sorry. A ride in a helicopter? (laughs) No, I've done that. It was the flight on, uh, excuse me, the patch on their flight suit was literally like 2021 Coda flyover demonstration team on the Dutch pilot's flight suit. Uh, So we outsourced our own flyover. Not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, and, and it was Dutch, which I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that. What was funny is as they flew over, I'm pretty sure I turned to you all and I went, God, this is a demonstration of power, isn't it, when they're all flying over like that? And then we just found out they weren't even there. We, we said, because uh, for, for our listeners who don't know Matt personally, he has served in the military. And we, we me and Cal went, Matt's going to absolutely love this. Little did we know you're sitting there going, fucking Dutch. I was doing that, and also, there were two F-35s that flew by. I was like, you couldn't just slap them on the end of the formation? They didn't even fly over the race. They're just like, ah, we're in the area. We just wanted to get a good cheek view. We didn't see them. Uh, (laughs) Neither did anybody in this track. I was just the one going. (laughs) To this day, I don't care what anyone says about the Dubai or anything. The Silver Arrows are fantastic, but the Red Arrows are incredible. At Silverstone, Matt, next year when we go there, when there's actually a race on... Um, you're going to see it. You're forgetting one. But there is one chief of flyovers for me personally. When they do, I, I forgive me, I don't even remember the name of the Italian Air Force demonstration team. When they fly the red, white, and green smoke down the start straight at Monza, that's what it needs to be. And Silverstone yeah, does Dolly. a very good job. But Red, white, and blue. What? The red arrow smokes red, white, and blue. It's the same, just different colors. I'm yeah, biased. The, 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 the red arrow is doing better. I looked at Dan like he was crazy. I thought he was trying to tell me the Italian flag was red, white, and blue. No. <laughs> I've got a picture on my phone from um, Village Grandstand of the red arrows doing a heart over Silverstone. And I don't care what anyone says. In the British flag colours, that is incredible. Um, well, I was straight opposite the start-finish line this year, and those red arrows are low. They were cool. That's the closest I'm ever going to get to a red arrow. They have a few different formations depending on the cloud height. Um, God, we are getting so distracted here, but they they, they have a few different displays that they can do. Anyway, I'm glad you enjoyed the National Anthem, Matt. I didn't think we delved in false statements on this podcast, but uh, (laughs) thank you for that. (laughs) Did you take your hat off, though? Absolutely. I'm not going to be that Not for very long, clearly. No, maybe for a little bit too long or a little bit up here. No, uh, never mind. I won't go into that. I was about to say, like, at least I didn't salute with my hat on. That's just like, no. Gloss. So the first lap, this is where we thought the race was one lost everything. Um, me and Matt, uh, sorry, me and Cal nearly had a punch up. But well, we thought we were going to have a punch-up, and uh, we we possibly got close to it. Um, Cal also pretended to sit down at the start, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. I was running, in, and, and to those who have been to my house, Matt, you have as well, there's there's not much of a running area, but I was running it all the way backwards and forwards. Now, the start was fantastic. Cal, talk us through it. Well, the lights went out. And, um, you know, Max and Lewis had a bit of a drag race to turn one. Lewis sort of went in front. Now, uh, uh, you've, you've, he's missed the key bit, isn't he? Michael, what's he missed? Not really missed anything. 
What's he missed, that Michael? Was, that, that was possibly the best start Lewis has had under pressure. I'm sorry. That was that was nailed. That yeah. you can't knock him on that start. The pressure no, that it, he was under, that was the launch was impeccable. Yeah. It was well, it was, no, it was an incredible start. And Christian Horner actually said during the race, Lewis got an excellent start, Max got an average one. And um yeah, it no, he nailed it and he had to. And he mm. did. Did, so, did Max go in a straight line? Um, <laughs> straight towards the inside. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say. I thought he was just going to do a reverse pit. He tried covering him off, didn't he? He tried squeezing him on the inside. He gave him enough room. It was all fair. Um, but Lewis just had that traction and just steamed off. Ended up with the inside line. Max couldn't really do a lot about it without running into him. And, uh, yeah, Lewis got a good start. But then... To be fair, you know, Max was right on his tail for the first, what, 10 laps. Lewis wasn't really pulling away at all. Mm. Um, but, it, it's, but we'll it's, talk on that in a minute. Yeah, it, I think it's fair to say Lewis is the king of Cota starts, right? Uh, we, we've seen it before. Da- Dan, what did you make of it? It was weird because obviously pole at Cota's on the outside, which is a bit weird. But Max, everyone expected Max to point towards Lewis, but he didn't. He was bolt straight. Then I think about 0.5 seconds after the lights went out, he went, oh, bugger, as he realised he had to turn in pretty quickly. And then, obviously, Max lost momentum. He would have been third if it wasn't Perez in third that then slowed down slightly to let Max back through. Max would have been third. If that was Bottas, Max would have been third. Or any other driver except Perez, which would have made it a lot harder. That's a fair comment. I think Perez, well, Perez did his job there, didn't he? Help Max through. But what I want to say as well is that before the race, Max actually said... No, I'm just focusing on turn one, not focusing on Lewis. I'm just going in a straight line, getting there as fast as I can and making that turn. Like Dan said, about 0.5 seconds after lights out, he changed his mind. And uh, I think he realised he got jumped uh, and he had, to do, he had to do something. It's Max Verstappen. He's not just going to sit there and watch the lead be taken from him. Uh, but it's also, you know, everybody talks about, oh, they don't give each other enough room. Stuff happens in the past. That was Max tried to close the door. Lewis closed the door at the apex of turn one and pushed Max wide. They gave each other the room. They were fighting for it, and Max lost out, but luckily he had a good teammate there in position once to help him. The, the thing is, though, I, I, again, thinking about this, Max driving towards Lewis, pushing him in, it was never really a strategy that was going to work, was it? I mean, it, it's not like he could have gained anything by pushing him there. He was always going to be on the outside. It was inevitable. He had to try. The pressure might have made Lewis outbreak himself or whatever. But we're seeing a very different Max Verstappen now to what we saw at the start of the season. At the start of the season, he was like, sod it, I've got nothing to lose, let's send everything. Now he's like, oh, I can win this. Let's let's be careful, let's not get a DNF. He's a very different Max to what we saw in Imola and Spain. I think the difference comes down to two key points. Number one, we know that Max was probably coached by Christian and Helmet and everybody in the Red Bull wall. You have the championship lead. Maintain it. Don't give it away by having a dust-up at turn one. The second point I will make is not not to Monday morning drive. I am not a driver. I am not the be-all, end-all. However, the only thing that Max truly could have done other than hoping to get Max to clip the apex and bounce a little bit and run wide was close the door on him. The switchback would not work 
at turn one there that early in the race. So he had to try and force Lewis offline and capitalize. Uh, I think he did everything he could to try and just get to the corner and rotate and come in clean. But that's how much more rapidly Lewis left the line. So then all the planning goes out the window. It's reactionary, and they both did a fantastic job, and it was killer. There was there was contact in the first corner as well, which we didn't see on screen for a little while. Um, and that was Latifian Stroll, I believe. Um, I think Latifi was in a bit of a sandwich. Well, so so he said. I mean... I think he was, to be fair to him. I also think there was. But that's inevitable in that corner. It's such a wide, tight corner at the same time, right? It's the widest entry on any circuit, but you've got to get that line going into the next into the S's, right? So it's, it's always going to happen. Now, talking of, of Stroll, I mean... Where was he? Where was he, Matt? As the red, as the uh, as, as the Aston Martin fan, he had a good recovery drive. Uh, at one point in the race, uh, seven laps were running ninth and tenth. Uh, truth be told, I don't know what happened to if it was a botched pit stop or what. But towards the end of the race, Lance Stroll disappeared. It's because they didn't pit for so long, wasn't it? No. Well, in the first half, when Max pitted at uh, not to get ahead of ourselves. Uh, you know, Max pitted on lap 11, I believe it was. Uh, Aston Martin were a little bit later in the pit game because they were trying to solidify their positions they had. Said Pat Traffic to move through and did fairly well, which I was excited about. Uh, but Stroll was in recovery mode, and I don't think he was as comfortable with that as he could have been. Okay. Um, so we, we've done the start. It was Verstappen just sitting behind Lewis for... Quite a while. I mean, the, 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 it was it was very strange as well. And, and, and again, we spoke about this. Was he's so close? Why is he not going for it? I mean, Cal, what? Why was Max Verstappen not trying to take that lead when he potentially could have? I I probably a bit biased here, but I'm going to say that he was just. He could see that Lewis was, you know, losing the rear end a little bit, wasting his tyres, which came over the radio quite frequently. And I think Max was just sort of thinking, what's the point in risking getting past him when he's going to have to pit soon anyway? And then obviously, I think it was lap 10 or 11, he decided to pit himself, which baffled me a little bit. Um, but he went for the undercut and it worked. He ended up with track position that way, the safe way. And I think that just summed up Red Bull's race in total, really. They played it, although it was an aggressive strategy, they played it safe. I'm going to equate the first couple laps, and I'm going to use an American football reference here, so apologies. Uh, sometimes teams will scout and have a predetermined set of plays that they're going to run when they come out, and they execute that plan depending on what they see in their studying and filming. Those first couple of laps with Max behind Lewis were recon. He wanted to see, A, if there's going to be any blistering, sliding, what the tech temperature is going to do, how it's going to affect the Mercedes because he can react to his car well enough on his own. So I honestly think that they had a predetermined set of conditions that they were looking for on that Mercedes to figure out what they were going to do. Uh, Max hung with Lewis with no problems at all, and they they left the pack. Uh, it was laughable uh, by about the time Max came in for his pit stop. Uh, I think that set the tone and solidified the strategy that Red Bull already had in place. 
He didn't have to push. He was gathering data and transmitting that all back to the pit wall, and they got it right. Okay. In the same phase of this, uh, Dan, the Bottas fan, um, I've been, I've been, oh, Callum's gone. I was so looking forward to this part. Um, Bottas had a bit of a hard time, and I'm actually not being a a hater or anything here, but he, he struggled to get through the field, and it was behind Sonoda, wasn't it, where he... He just couldn't get past. Well, yeah, we, Lewis had the same problem last week. Sonoda's some bullet when it comes to defending. It's just, I don't know what it is, but yeah, Sonoda's defence is a lot better than Sonoda's attack, put it that way. You know, he did eventually get past Sonoda. Um, Mercedes, Matt might know a bit more than this. I know he wasn't watching the coverage, but it's more Matt's area. Mercedes had something going on with the rear of their car, diffuser, something. But Martin Brundle, that they changed for this weekend, Martin Brundle said it was really hard to follow as soon as you got close to another car. So obviously he's not biased to Mercedes. He just said that. But I don't know what it was. But even Lewis, as soon as he got somewhat close to anything, struggled. So yes, Bottas struggled. We've seen he can overtake. He did it in Monza, went from last to third. But yeah, it's tricky weekend for Bottas. I would assume that would have something to do with the low rake setup and the surface area going over that front wing and the direction of the outwash. That's just that's just a borderline educated guess. Uh, I'm sure our listeners will correct me on anything I missed on that uh, because Mercedes were so much faster in sectors one and three because those long straights, they had this straight line speed. However, Red Bull was able to hang on in sector two from what I was seeing, and that could have played into the, the difficulties with moving through the traffic, because if you're still stuck behind somebody, even in sectors one and three, you're relying on getting the DRS window. But if you're following, you know, that wakes about two to three seconds behind. So it could have been getting up to that point where DRS took effect to then capitalize sectors one and three, I think from what I saw could have been affecting them there. Yeah. To be fair to Bottas, I don't don't think we can um, really blame him for not getting past Sonoda. Sonoda was phenomenal last week against Hamilton. And then this week he was phenomenal against Bottas. And when Bottas eventually passed Sonoda, um, it was only a few laps before he was eight seconds clear of Sonoda, but still 12 seconds behind Norris. Now, when he was behind Sonoda, they were 13 seconds behind Norris. So Sonoda dropped back severely. Um, But it just shows the credit you've got to give to Sonoda. I'd say that was more Sonoda doing really well than Bottas doing badly, to be fair. Have we not seen that that Mercedes car is inherently bad at following other cars regardless? I think that, that they have a car that goes out front and... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> We've got, uh, got a war of signage going on, uh, which you'll probably see on the video. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that, that Merc can't follow cars anyway. It's definitely... And once again, we're not the experts, even though we like to think we are. There's something in that setup, and that's part of the reason I'm excited about the 2022 regulations. Not to say that I'm going to defend Botas here today, but I kind of am a little bit. Uh, with the change in the well, – Dan looks disgusted with that. Uh, that's where the 2020, Yeah, that's where the 2022 regs will come in. Uh, that car just looked unstable, uh, especially you – know, obviously, I was sitting at turn four and looking across the infield to turns 12 and 13 – Whenever Botas was following that weight, it looked slippery. It was unsettled. So if you're following in that, 
all the way around the track, slipping and sliding like a rhinoceros on roller skates, it's going to be hard to close up that gap, especially if you have a staunch defender like Yuki Snowden in front of you. Uh, and I don't think that's a improper setup. I think Mercedes know what they have with that platform, and they're optimizing. So if you're capitalizing on you know sectors one and three of those that straight line speed, you can sacrifice that stability a little bit because you kind of assume you're gearing towards Lewis. The constructors' championship is not well and safely in hand, but they have a cushion there. They have to focus more on the driver's championship now with Lewis and taking that fight to max. So they can kind of sacrifice an overall round better platform for the individual driver and focus what's better for the brand as the whole to ensure success going forward. I do have one question. You were at turn four. Was the direction change where you were, did it look as awesome live as it did on camera because the load going through those tires through those s's were it looked incredible on screen i i apologize to yuki sonoda for this joke uh it was in bad taste but it demonstrates very well uh there were times you couldn't see yuki sonoda in the halo going through those turns because they you could watch the drivers get pushed down into the car i don't know the gravitational forces they're dealing with there but as a full-grown man-child, all you can do is laugh at how incredible it is at <laughs> the turn four segment to watch. We we, knew, we could see on screen it was about 4G they're pulling through the S's, right? I mean, that that's unreal. That is absolutely mental. Uh, Dan, what did, what, what did you think about those S's? No, they're cool, aren't they? They're modelled on Maggots and Beckett's, which is the best sequence of corners on the F1 calendar. So, of course, it was going to be cool. Um, what I was just going to say really quickly before that was Matt mentioned it from the offboard. The onboard, that Mercedes was snappy for both Lewis and Bottas. Every time they made a turn, they were then quickly having to correct themselves. It did not look planted at all, which is through the kind of what the Mercedes... Mean, yeah. Through everywhere. Yeah. Through the S's, through ev literally every single corner, that Mercedes snapped. So, we're used to talking about how planted that Mercedes is, and it wasn't this weekend. I mean, it, it, it's always planted when it's in the lead, right? Well, usually. But, I mean, uh, uh, you know, Bottas through those S's behind the car was difficult to watch. And it, that, that's not at Bottas. That's just because of he was behind a different car, right? And you could see that struggle. And it really, it really does obviously show how much of a difference the track makes because I'm not going to sit here and say Bottas is the best driver on the grid. He's not. I've never claimed he is. He's my favourite driver on the grid. But he was completely dominant last weekend and he couldn't figure it out this weekend. So, <laughs> oh dear. Um, so it just shows how much different the tracks make. Sorry, Cal just, Cal's holding up a sign, so I'm going to have to write one back. But um, yeah, track dependent, that Mercedes car, very track dependent. So we need to talk about one driver. Well, or two drivers, maybe three drivers, who really got their sponsors some money this weekend. Giovinazzi, right? How much money did he make Who? for his sponsors this weekend? Who? Mate, he was phenomenal. That Alonso battle, and oh my God, me and you, Ollie, were watching it. And we were actually really annoyed with the directors of this race because they kept on saying, no, give the place back, give the place back. And it's like, no, no, no. They're providing the best bit of telly we've watched all day. Like, come on, let them, let them just crack on with it. And it was... Yeah, and yeah, for a driver yeah, that we've we've not really seen all year, it's almost like he, he he's a mythical creature, right? That just happens to appear on timing screens. 
he he was almost the star of this show. I mean, Michael, what did you think of Alonso Giovinazzi? I mean, it it was good fun, wasn't it? It was. It was great fun. I I do have one point about the uh, the camera work on that though. In uh, Alonso's car, I think I only saw the helmet cam once this entire weekend, and I would have loved to have seen that from that eye cam. I just wanted to see that. It's not sponsored by Apple or anything. It, it's it's an eye camera, uh, an eye vision. But how, how how would you say it? An eye level camera, right? Um, but it was actually on Ocon's car. Ah, fair enough. That's why we wouldn't have seen it through the, uh, the Alonso <laughs> battle then. I know, I know, but you're absolutely right. We we didn't quite mention it, but um, during quali and the practices, that that was the best camera I've, I've I think I've ever ever seen. Uh, Cal again back on those battles. Yeah, I just want to shout out Giovinazzi. Actually, he is one of three drivers to finish every single race this year. Now, some people don't rate him. You know, like Ollie just said, he's a bit of a ghost who appears on the timing screens, but credit to the guy. Finishing every Grand Prix this year with only five races to go, that is some feat. Unfortunately for him, only one of those has been in the points, which is kind yeah, of what matters. You know, that he's, he is in an alpha and he's still finishing races. That You, you know, there's some talent Kimi's got, there. And I think got it's points. A, do you know who else is in an alpha next year? I love Giovinazzi, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Matt, yeah. Matt, Matt, go on. What, what, what I'm excited. Thinking? I will say this. Uh, apologies to the fans in turn four. That alpha battle with Alonso raged around that track. Uh, there were three solid laps. And I think they actually, on the rewatch I did at about two o'clock in the morning while driving <laughs> back home today, uh, I have not given Giovinazzi enough credence. I don't think any of us on this podcast have. Uh, I did tap him as somebody to watch for a... Uh, I actually said Alpha of the team to watch for the biggest improvement this year. That has not come to fruition. But he was there step for step, inch for inch, not giving an inch to the two-time world champion, Fernando Alonso, who is arguably the most ferocious driver on that track at any given moment. Uh that was probably the most exciting on-track action save one moment of the entire race for me, uh, especially through the back ends at turns 18 and 19, setting up for the start-finish straight. Unreal. That might have been the best wheel-to-wheel action we've seen all season, and that's saying something. Uh, and and you know what else is saying something? Um, as a Hamilton fan, I've never been much of an Alonso fan. Funny that. Um However, this year, and it was Jenny Gale who came on this podcast who said, mate, Alonso's going to be wicked this year. He's he's done some things I did not think the man could do. And I think back to, um, was it, oh, goodness gracious, was it Hungary where he held back Hamilton himself? Um, Alonso, it's almost like he doesn't give an F, right? He's just there to enjoy himself. Michael. He's got nothing to lose. Right? It's the same as Kimmy's position. He's got nothing to lose. He's there to enjoy it. He's been brought back in. He's having fun. So why not go for it? And he's using his experience the same as Kimmy is. He's just, yeah. Well, apart from Kimmy's having the worst run that he's ever had since he's uh, announced his retirement. Well, yeah, fair enough. (laughs) There's an old American saying that old age and cunning beats youth and enthusiasm every time. 
Fernando Alonso is embodying that week in and week out in that Alpine. Agree. Yeah. Yeah, Kimmy but that's... very nearly got points yesterday, though, just on Kimmy. He would have got points, but then he went off track. But Matt, you're saying there, it doesn't quite work with Lando Norris, though, does it? I'm seeing in my head, <laughs> I'm seeing Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo, right, going for, what was it, science? Was it science? Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. Now, I literally screamed when I saw that, the helicopter cam, right, with them both on the outside of that Ferrari. There was some really good racing this weekend, and we weren't expecting it. We, were, we weren't expecting it. No, and... Oh, I, oh sorry, Mike. Well, the quaffle on the spot giveback, I think, will be a controversy that brews in the Ferrari and McLaren camps for a while to come. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo, I think, put together his most complete weekend of the season so far. Uh, you know, speaking on that, you know, on behalf of all Americans, we want to adopt you, Danny Rick. Come be one of us. Give us some clout on the world stage. Uh, but he, that battle was incredible and it raged. Yeah. Uh, Dan is held up a science says Monza. <laughs> I get what he's saying, but I think I was wowed more. If that makes sense by Daniel Ricciardo this weekend. It, it, it absolutely does. It was more exciting this weekend to see Danny Rick going at it. And okay. He didn't win. Dan's pulling a stupid face at me. He won Monza. That's he so did exciting. win Monza, but Danny Rick. But throughout this weekend, Danny Rick was the hero. I mean, he was out in out in his boss's car, and then he delivered a fantastic race. I mean, um, Michael, you're wearing a McLaren shirt, so I'm going to yeah. hand it to you. McLaren golf shirt, nonetheless. Um, <clears throat> no, I I got laughed at actually in the group by you lot when I said that I was going to vote Danny Rick driver of the day, um, and. I think, actually, that's come back round on this podcast because he was, and he did put the best weekend in that I think we've seen in that car. It's taken him so long to try and get used to the way that McLaren work, the way that that car handles. Norris has been brought up on it. Danny Rick's come into it. And I think Mm. now we're starting to see that really come through. So driver of the day is an interesting one because me me and Carl, we couldn't... Well, about halfway through, I said, I, I couldn't even tell you any driver of the day, right? So uh, I'm really interested to hear you guys, drivers of the day, uh, when we get to it. Um, Spoiler alert. Mine's Danny Rick. Yeah, I sort of got that one. I'm just trying to move away from it, mate. But um, <laughs> uh, pit strategies. We haven't spoken about pit strategies. So was Red Bull either... A scared tactic, or was it a stroke of genius? Now, the reason I say that is, okay, spoiler alert, number two, they finished within a second of each other, right? So it was close either way. Uh, Matt, I, th- I think you bump, you you bubbled up first. So um, what do you think, mate? I think Field Marshal Verstappen was on the field for that call. Uh, he was not having to work as hard, and he could see that on those recon laps, uh, the first 10 laps. And he's like, he actually came over the radio at one point and said, Hamilton is struggling and sliding, and I have more pace. Uh, the pace differential between the softs and the mediums was negatable this weekend. Uh, Pirelli came out and said that the two-stop was the way to go. Uh, the track cooking the way it was was going to lead to surface deg, and Max called it. The same The same reason that McLaren sent Lando out on those uh, slicks and it went wrong is the reason that they sent Max out on the strategy he had this weekend, and it worked. Uh, beautifully, might I add. Uh, 
I think it was, I won't even say it was safe. I think it was putting the faith that Max Verstappen is the driver and has the mental capacities to make the correct call in that moment. And he did. It's interesting you say you don't think it was safe, right? And this is something something Cal said to me during this race. Go on, Cal. Well, the, first of all, the strategy was very aggressive, wasn't it? They were like, no, we want trap position. We're having it, which I think, fair play, because that Mercedes is horrible when it's following another car. And it's one thing to catch up to Max Verstappen. It's another thing to get past him. And I think they trusted in Max. And this is the key here. They trusted in Max to not let Lewis past him. So they could say, look, we'll put him out for 30 laps on the hards. Let Lewis go and pit. Let him catch up. He's not going to get past us. And it worked brilliantly. Who cares if you finish within a second of him? He still won the race. He still gained all the points. Mm. So the strategy worked perfectly. I think what you said to me, Cal, was actually they... Uh, well, they they did. Sky Sports went to Christian Horner and said, "Right, what was this your plan all the way in?" And Christian said, along the lines of, "Not sure. We'll see." Um, and after the race, he admitted he didn't. He wasn't sure if it was going to pay off at that time. But but Cal, you said to me, they literally put Red Bull put that pressure on Max Verstappen because he could handle it. It was it was not a guaranteed win. It was for him to deliver that's it and they knew they sort of said look we've got Max Verstappen in the car let's see what he can really do let's let's test the guy out today this is the only way we're going to win this race is is if he can pull this off and they said right can you do it he said yes and he did and that is the way you've got to deal with these fantastic drivers Mercedes do it with Lewis all the time it's about time Red Bull started taking these risks with Max to make sure that these points hit the board Mm mm-hmm but Mercedes didn't this weekend. As soon as I heard that call, we're going plan A plus six. It was that sinking feeling of they've done it again. They, they're not reacting in time. Exactly the same as they've done in previous races where it's let Lewis down. And, I mean, I, I said to Cal, I said, they're paid more than me to figure this out. There's a reason why they're leaving Lewis out for another six laps. I didn't know what the hell it was, right? But there has to be a reason. Theoretically, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing, as Matt always says, but if they had pitted Lewis straight after, he would have won it. Um, Theoretically, yeah, because Max wouldn't have built up such a lead on the undercut. So but would he? Would he have then? Would he have then been able to close that gap? You know, you can look at it. Yeah, any way it's, you want. it's all hypothetical, isn't it? Until but what we saw is what we saw. But what I think Mercedes were doing was actually the only strategy they could realistically do. They nearly pulled it off. They were within one second of Max Verstappen. If he had maybe four more laps, he might well have got the DRS going a bit better, and maybe got past him into turn one. We we will never know. Um, but like Michael said, they probably didn't um, shoot the gun early enough. I have a question. Um, this whole Checo and Max Max sort of using Checo and saying over the radio, let's use Checo. Is there a rule that teams have to speak in English on the team radio? Because let's say GP learnt like a buttload of Dutch phrases and then Max just picked one. That would take Mercedes far longer to figure out and by then it would be too late. Do they have to speak English over the radio? 
Mate, that's a, that's a that brilliant question. Phenomenal question. <laughs> I've literally just thought of that, and I've just gone, surely if, you know like, what? GP just learnt box Checo... I mean, obviously, I've, he still says Checo, but you could have a code name or whatever. Like, that take the Do you remember... Way longer there to was, but it, th- This happened, and I'm sure it was Seb at Ferrari. Matt, you might be able to correct me. I'm sure it was Seb at Ferrari who learnt a few key Italian phrases... And yeah, nodding. Do you want to do you want to take it from here? Because I, I can no. tell you the answer. I, do, do you want to know the answer? I Go would guess it. they do because surely they would have thought of it. The answer is no. There is no rule that says they have to speak English over team radio. That really surprises me. But it's an absolutely mega point. Man. I'm so surprised by that. So Dan uh, is looking for a job at Red Bull to uh, give Christian some free tips. Uh, <laughs> There is one point I would like to make on the strategy. Give me an call. email. Give me an email. As excited that I am about it, working for Red Bull. If you recall, there was the virtual safety car that came out when Max came in for that second stop. If that Marshall had not gone out there and got that piece of debris, which I think was a Latifi end plate or something like that, I don't know if it would have worked. So I think it. It was a beautiful confluence of everything coming together to make that happen for Red Bull, and it was exciting. They had it planned. They executed. They also got lucky. And that there's another old Matt saying, I'd rather be lucky than good any day. And I think them hitting that virtual safety car on that pit stop is what made the difference in this race in the end. Yeah, and luck ran into Hamilton as well, where Max could not get past those cars. He absolutely could not. And I, good God, I can't remember who it was who was holding him up now. But um, who was it, Cal? I think it was um, Giovinazzi, maybe Alonso and Sonoda. I think it was that trio. Can't quite remember. I know I Sonoda was, was Schumacher. No, no, that was way back. He got past him pretty quickly. There was a trio. Schumacher was right at the end of the race yeah. as well. But, but e- yeah, yeah, either now. way... Um, Verstappen got held up. He he lost probably, and I'm being fair here, probably four seconds. Um, more like five. Yeah, in total. And Hamilton lost nothing. And this is where you could hypothetically say anything, anything could have happened, right? They finished within a second of each other. It was a cracking race. There's drivers we haven't mentioned. Are there any key shouts we've missed here? I mean, I know we spoke about Giovinazzi, Alonso. Everyone's holding their hands up here on on, on the podcast. So um, Matt put it up first. He's very good at that. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> And we're back to the sponsor again. Yeah. <laughs> Coming soon to you from... <laughs> Never mind. Uh, you all know where I'm going with this. Uh, I could see the, the Petrodden looks... Seb had an incredible drive. I know I'm biased. Cal's over here contemplating leaving the nerds now. But I think that... Oh, Dan's shaking his head. Uh, Let me explain. He's not in the fastest car. He had no support from his rear gunner. Sorry, let me explain. Matt was at the Grand Prix. Yes. End of. (laughs) Yes. But he was consistent in his pace he judged everything well. Dan, I don't want to hear a word about bias from you, you zealot. That's why, that's why I said it. That's why I said it. Uh, I'm going to shout out Seb. I'm also going to shout out Sonoda uh, with the couple of unfortunate incidents that happened for him on track. Out of nowhere for quality, out of nowhere in the race, and really showed his quality 
And I think we have been overlooking him kind of just as the who's the other guy for Alpha Tauri. He kind of reminded the world who he was this weekend. Since Matt always abuses me when I say Bottas was brilliant, Seb, Seb's P2 in Baku was brilliant or sensational, whatever words you used. P10 isn't. It's a good drive, but the Aston should be in the points. It's not fantastic. No, but it shouldn't have in Kota. Not at Kota, exactly. Mm, yeah, that, that Aston's. Know. By the way, Seb was only P2 brilliant. because Hamilton had pressed the brake magic button. Uh, and anyway, we're not getting into that. Seb was only P10 because Kimmy went off the track. Yeah. yeah, anyway. He was pressured off the track. Matt, I, I like that. Where, did, where did Stroll <laughs> finish? 12th. So a couple of places behind. I don't think we've touched on possibly one of the biggest bits of news to have come out of this weekend that has broken today is the fact that Perez, over from halfway into the Grand Prix, I don't know if you guys know this, his drink bottle failed. And he was basically on the verge of tunnel vision for the last quarter of that race. He had no drink. He was nearly dying. And I think that he performed exceptionally well yeah so th- this thank you for reminding us michael because damn we would have skipped over that um he looked like he looked dead when he came out of that car and uh you know i i was saying throughout the race why is he so far behind you know he's in the same car bottas was stuck further down the grid right that wasn't his fault and perez was in third but he couldn't keep up God damn, the guy had no water. They were all, wear, all wearing their ice packs before they even got in the car. It was hot. Cal, I mean, I know you agree with me on that. Yeah, no, it was a tough race for him. Did well to keep third. But, you know, I know exactly what Dan's going to say. He's going to say, well, Bottas lost his drink at Silverstone. Well, that wasn't I all I was no going to say. making a big deal out of it. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, um, so no, drive... Let, okay, let sorry, me... finish your point. Finish, finish. I thought you were done. Um, no, Perez... To be fair to him, you know, I thought, God, why is he so far behind? Lewis and Max aren't that much quicker. He was like 30 seconds behind. But fair enough, you know, if you're racing dehydrated, can't really see much in that heat, you know, fair enough. He did all right, didn't he? All right, to get the obvious out of the way, Silverstone was maybe one degree cooler. It was boiling that day. And Bottas went the whole race without a drink at Silverstone. So he was in the same position there. He didn't get the drinks excuse. I have no question it was hard for Perez. It was just as hard for Bottas at Silverstone, but no one said that. And some drivers race without a drink anyway. The really tall and therefore heavier ones sometimes don't have a drink at all. So I know Perez is like used to a drink and all that. And I'm sure it did make a massive difference. Matt, your sign's the wrong way around. But, it, um, you know, some drivers never have a drink anyway. And Bottas did it at Silverstone. So it's not really unusual. It, it's I not think like he lost I- an arm. I think it's fair to say it's unusual if you're used to it, right? And it was hot this weekend. Matt's face uh, confirms that. And I I believe on average, F1 drivers use about... Silverstone. Hmm? So did Callum's face at Silverstone. It was like a tomato by the end of the weekend. I believe on average, F1 drivers lose about three kilograms of weight during a race um, just through sweat. That's... That's a lot. Let's not forget that in the cockpit, it gets up to about 122 degrees Fahrenheit. I do not know what that is in Celsius for those drivers in the cockpit uh, as well. I do. It's hot. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, I couldn't watch the race without a drink. 
Granted, it may not have been water, but... <laughs> I was about to say, motherfucker, <laughs> that went well, too. <laughs> but uh, I, just to touch on the Checo drink fiasco, there's actually a meme that came out that I saw this morning at a rest area stop. Uh, at the start-finish straight, there's a banner over the uh, track sponsored by Heineken that says, don't drink and drive. And they're like, well, Checo doesn't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember in a, in, a, in a previous podcast, Matt, we discovered where the drinks bottle is held. Now, I think this may have been ruined by Sky, this really interesting fact, because they said it before the race because he already had problems. In fact, before he started the race, he was covered in water, wasn't he? Yeah, it was leaking. It was leaking. So, you know, he had overdose of water before he started. Um, Matt, I always remember you and me going, oh, wow. Uh, where is the drinks bottle in a Formula One car? In the nose. He can't remember. He can't remember. I'll sit here tapping my nose. I thought somebody was going to take it. It's in the nose. And it's actually, it's actually more of a bladder than it is an actual drink bottle. What do you mean it's in the nose? Oh, in the nose. Fuck, you know. It's because you're pointing at your nose. <laughs> oh, you thought I meant like the straw goes in their nose? He doesn't just go... <laughs> oh. I do a line of water every two laps. Oh. <laughs> No, you, can, you will not have the drink. You can tell we've been uh, recording this one for a while, can't you? Uh, yeah. So, um, it was a fantastic Grand Prix. Lewis caught up to Max. He was within DRS. He couldn't do it. And I will openly say that's because Max Verstappen deserved it. He was the better driver this weekend. And finally, finally, I've been saying this all season... I haven't enjoyed this season as much as I should have because it's been taking each other off. It's been, oh, this happened, that happened. Uh, Finally, we've seen the two at it, and they were absolutely at it towards the end of Kota. Um, I mean, Dan, is there any doubt that those two were absolutely going for it? Uh, Nope. Nope. Best two drivers in the field by an absolute mile on yesterday. They were... Deserved one and two, quite simply. Um, and yes, Max was amazing and he was the best driver out there. But he won it because of the strategy. Like, if Red Bull had done Mercedes' strategy, he probably wouldn't have won it. When was the last time Mercedes actually out-strategied Red Bull? Bahrain. Spain is the last I can think of. Yeah, I can't think of Bahrain. one since Spain. They've had a poor year on the strategy front. Like, they are normally top of the class when it comes to strategy and they've been the thing is Mercedes have not been used to competition this is why their car is not set up for following this is why they're not used to the battles their team they've made some good strategy calls this year but they've made some horrific ones I certainly wouldn't say that this was a horrific strategy call even though I thought it at the time but are Mercedes used to having such type competition? I think the answer is no, and I think we're seeing the cracks now. It wasn't a horrific strategy call, but it was the wrong strategy call, as it's turned out. Absolutely, I like, never said it Lewis was horrific. Lewis did everything. They have done. They have made horrific strategy calls this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Lewis again, did his job. Yep, I, I, everyone did their job. Everyone did their job. I mean, Cal, what do you think? Was it a, a bad strategy call by Mercedes, or genius by Red Bull, or was it neither? It was neither. I think Red Bull stuck to the plan. Uh, the plan was pretty solid. It was hard to get around. And I think Mercedes just could not 
combat that plan. Sometimes that's the case at a race. For example, Sochi, you know, that is a Mercedes circuit and people struggle to combat Mercedes around that circuit. Finally, the... the um, oh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? The curse of Mercedes has been lifted at Cota. We've finally seen a different winner. I also say that uh, Red Bull seized the initiative from a tactic standpoint. They were the ones setting the tone and dictating what the others would react to. So once again, you know, that going into it with a plan of we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we'll see how everybody else shakes up and reacts to it. Uh, being the first to take the charge, set the tone, and all of that played into Red Bull's hands because I think it caught Mercedes napping a little bit. Absolutely. I, I feel, you know, to, to look at where Red Bull are now, I feel they're much more dynamic and ready to to adapt the Mercedes. You know, they, they, they haven't got that winning attitude and they're finding it. And I think that that's a real difference here. So um, Verstappen won the race with Lewis, what was it, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9 behind? 1.3. Was it? I thought it was under a second. Uh, 1.3 in the end. That's because Lewis backed off the accelerator, but it would have been. Um, just Max arguably won this. He was shouting at Schumacher saying move get out of the way he arguably won it by Schumacher staying in the way because at the DRS point he got DRS off Schumacher and Lewis didn't get DRS so he then shot off down the straight and you know he probably had to go up to Schumacher and go oh sorry about that at the time I was like what the hell is going on here because you thought that Lewis had Verstappen's DRS and then suddenly Verstappen's got it from Schumacher right I think um, Dan, that's a that's a magical point. Uh, that that is just the sort of look that a champion needs, though, isn't it? But how many times have we seen Lewis Hamilton over the years have that little bit of luck? That's uh, sometimes that's what you need to win a race, and luckily that fell Max's way this this time. I mean, there's no question. If I think if Lewis wins this championship, he's got his fair bit of luck. He had Imola, he had the red flag timed perfectly. He, I know maybe Silverstone wasn't luck when Max crashed out, but he was doomed at that point and then came back with that win, Max DNF. So I think Max deserves a little bit of luck that he got this weekend with Schumacher. Or maybe it wasn't luck, maybe he planned it, you know, who knows. Do you know what, I I would say everyone needs a bit of luck here and there, but if, if you had to weigh out the luck between... Lewis and Max, Lewis had a lot more luck than Max did. So I would say that was an absolutely solid win by Max Verstappen. Um, it, it was incredible. It, it really was. And we've seen some great drives from him. And whoever wins the championship at this point has deserved it. And one thing I really want to say as an F1 fan is I felt coming into this weekend that they were level. You know, they've both had their mistakes. They both had their bad luck. It's not like at the end of this year you can say, oh, well, if that hadn't happened he, or, or he only won because of X, I feel like they've they've both had that. And we're sort of going into the end of this season with a, with a level playing field because when it gets to the end of this season, I'll tell you right now, I will hate it if people say Lewis only won, won because of this or Max only won because of this. It needs to be a championship to the end. So Max people Verstappen say won. It, but it's irrelevant. Sorry? I said people will say it, but it's irrelevant. You're never going to stop people. No, no. I've, yeah, I've, and, they, and you're never going to stop people, this deserves but it. the true F1 fans know. Right? The true F1 fans know. And the true F1 fans don't actually support a team, a driver. Yes, they will, but they'll support the sport. 
And that's the difference. So, Matt, where are the standings? Because this has changed things now. Yes. Uh, there are three big things I'll cover. Uh, first is Verstappen is now sitting 12 points clear of Lewis Hamilton and the drivers, which is, once again, one bad race. Are you talking about you want a championship to the end? With that point spread, it's going down to the wire. Uh, you know, that that is one Lewis DNF. He's lost the championship. Yes, everybody's going to have to be minding their P's and Q's and counting on that little bit of luck uh, going forward. The big one for me, though, I mean, honestly, in the drivers, it's pretty well locked up. Uh, I mean, Perez and Norris are still fighting and scrapping over fourth place. Uh, they're one point apart there. Uh, but really, the big the big focus is obviously going to be for the championship lead, how tight that is. Where it starts getting fun for me is the team's standings. Uh, Mercedes are still holding on to the lead. Uh, dare I say Dan can hang his hat on this one. Uh, you know, they're currently 22 and a half points clear in the constructors of Red Bull. That's 23 points, mate, not 22 and a half. I forgot the half point. You're right. <laughs> fucking, fucking half points. Who so, the fuck came up with that idea? Half a point, 14 hours. I'll take, I'll take that hit. Yeah, no, mate, it took me a good 20 minutes before to work out what it was. Yeah, anyway. no, it did. Trust me, me and Kel argued. Red Bull and Merck are both on half point, though. Both of them do, are yes. both on a half point, yeah, so half a Yes, point I just, point. I got my math wrong. Shocking. Uh, you, you didn't have your numbers with you? I have my numbers with me, but I don't have my brain with me today. That's still in Austin, Texas in a okay, trash right, start somewhere. That, start the team bit again. <laughs> Where it gets really exciting for me is the team bit. Uh, Mercedes are still holding on to that 23-point lead over Red Bull going into the next round. Uh, however, Ferrari and McLaren. Ferrari are in fourth, and they are three and a half points off McLaren. And that showed up <laughs> three all weekend. Three and a half Points. Yes. What race is this? 17, 16, 17? There's Who five cares? Left. Right. That <laughs> is five insane. Left, yeah. I mean, the rest the rest of the team standings, you know, Alpine is in fifth of 104, Alpha Tower at 94, still could be a battle there. But honestly, for the drivers, we all know what we're watching, the championship. That third place fight is going to be the Mount Rushmore battles this year going forward. It's going to be a clash of the Titans. And now that Danny Rick is starting to, dare I say, show up and support more than he has been, not to disparage him, but everybody's firing on all cylinders. So it's going to be a war of attrition with those two teams going forward. And that is the classic quintessential matchup battle that we want to see. And I mean, boys, it feels like 1987 in here in this battle all over again. And it's I'm, awesome. I mean, my God, if you said to me last year it was McLaren and Ferrari f fighting for third, I would have told you where to go, right? And I, I remember Karun Chandok, right? Do, do you remember this, Cal, where we said, right, who's going to impress us this year? Well, obviously, we spoke to him last year. And he said, it's going to be Ferrari in third, right? He called it. And at that point, yeah. Matt, uh, as, a, as a Tifosi, right? He knew something. As a Tifosi, that was like him well, that was a that was a slap in the face, and you know what? As they as still a Tafosi, it's fun to watch. And then that that's the mindset that all of our fans need to have. Here's the other uh, kind of fun one for me personally. Williams last year, dead last, didn't do anything. They're in eighth. 
And I think we keep forgetting that they have a substantial lead over Alfa Romeo and Haas. They're, I won't say they have nothing to worry about. A couple really weird results, and it could be tightened up. But they are 16 points clear of Alfa Romeo in ninth. And for, so, the, and for the bet runners, that's a lot, right? Yes. that's <laughs> When you're getting onesies and twosies, like Aston Martin, week <laughs> in and week out, uh, that takes a while to, to chip away at. So good on them. Mm. Where are Aston Martin in the championship, Matt? Aston Martin are sitting in seventh with 62. They're kind of in this weird no man's land. They're too far back of AlphaTauri, I think, to really catch up. That Honda power unit is just incredible. Uh, I don't see them really closing that gap up, but I would like to see some more good results from Seb and Lance. I'll say it. Uh, but I don't think Williams will challenge them, even though George Russell did also have a fun drive defending against Seb this week to watch as well. Aston Martin have been my shock of this year. They were fighting for third right to Abu Dhabi last year as racing point. Now they're seventh. Turns seventh. out design is hard. <laughs> if you're copying brake ducks, it gets a little bit difficult. <laughs> yeah, but you have one, to make your own. It's a bit tricky. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I will say that I've kind of been stewing on this, and I haven't had the the guts to say it out loud, and I think I'm going to now. Uh, Aston Martin are sinking a lot of money into their new developmental facility. Yeah? They're going for a state-of-the-art wind tunnel. Does it not make sense to make sure that you get more wind tunnel time? I won't say they're sandbagging. That's not something that an F1 driver does. But could they potentially be looking at exploiting and finding a sweet spot in that reverse uh, wind tunnel usage, depending on where you finish this year? I, I still don't know if I have the guts to say, even though I just have. But I think there may be a little bit of gamesmanship there. I don't think they're suffering as we as badly as we think we are, they are. And they could be already eyeing ahead and seeing where they're at and pushing that development. Okay, we're not going to be able to take over the next place up. And it might hurt us in the long run if we do. Oh, see, now Matt is Mr. Anti-Conspiracy, right? Um, I am. Especially I, being an American. And... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, but... Everything you just said makes absolute sense. I mean, we know that next year they're going to be penalised even harder if they win this year, right? They're going to go into next year with, they might as well not even have a wind tunnel. They might as well take their their, their scare electrics around the track, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you come in and last, you basically own the thing. Exactly. And I, it's not, I, I still think I'm almost like on the verge of a crackpot theory with that. It would take, it would take so many resources and sacrifices of their potentials of next year to properly contend with AlphaTauri this year. And the thought that's been reoccurring to me over and over again the last three races is, if I'm Lawrence Stroll and I'm spending you know a couple countries' gross domestic product to make this amazing factory and build this wind tunnel, it would suck to then you know, fight for six, which is still a good result, but it's, ooh, mm. sixth, and then sit there and watch that facility sit idle Mm. after staffing it, after building it, after putting all this money into infrastructure. And I'm not saying that's what's happening, but it's, it's something that's been gnawing at me and having me think and keeping me up at night. So I, well, well, Lawrence Stroll doesn't have a 200 million pound yacht at Monaco by being an idiot. That might be the reason I don't. Maybe I am an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we've all wondered. But, uh, Matt, that might be the most genius thing you've ever said. It might be the dumbest. Um, it's time for our race ratings and our drivers of the day. 
Everyone looks forward to this part. It's the best part because, you know, the podcast is nearly ending. So <laughs> we will start with Dan the Bottas fan. Um, I would like your driver of the... Sorry, I'd like your race rating and then your driver of the day, please. Um, I will give it a f- five. It wasn't great. For there was a, a bit of strategy... Fan. No, regardless of being a boss fan, it wasn't great. Um, driver of the day today. Hmm. Let's go Charles Leclerc. I said that as soon as the race had finished. P4 is a solid drive in the Ferrari. And a lot of people online are giving it to Checo. But if that was Bottas in that car, there's no way he's winning driver of the day. So Perez ain't winning it when he's in an equal machine. So I'm going Charles Leclerc. I knew you'd bring it to Bottas somehow. Um, let's go for Michael. Daniel Ricciardo, driver of the day, solid weekend. <laughs> funny that, mate. Funny, funny that. that. Funny <laughs> that. Uh, and I'm going to go for a solid seven out of ten. And I think for me, it's the whole package. It was great having the grid walk back. It was great seeing the grandstand so packed. Uh, you could hear and feel the atmosphere even through the screen. It felt that you could feel the atmosphere. It was great. So that that's what did it for me. I think overall race quality, uh, a lot of strategy, uh, as as Dan said. So the, the crowd and the overall package brought that up to a seven for me. Well, thank you, Matt, very much for bringing it up to a seven for, uh, for Michael. Um, Matt, you were there. Race rating, driver of the day. I'm going to have to wax poetic and kind of be called a cop-out on both of these. Uh, I'm going to give it a 10 because I was there and felt the atmosphere. Actual on-track action, I'll probably give a 7 or 8. But just being there and having that old-school Grand Prix feel to it, it, it was a 10. Uh, driver of the day, I'm also going to cop-out. I'm going to give it to the fans because they drove Checo on to that success. I truly believe that because every single lap, people out there dying in the heat like Checo, I think that that P3 for Checo was secured on will and will alone from the fans. My God, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I did not see that coming. I mean, I saw the race rating, but not the driver of the day. Only because Dan covered Charles Leclerc for me. <laughs> and I can't wait to put a picture of your face on our social medias. Um, okay, that leaves Cal. Uh, race rating is a 7 out of 10, and that is purely only because of the last 10 laps. If we didn't have the action in the last 10 laps, it'd probably be more like a 5. Um, because like Dan said, it was mainly strategy, wasn't it? Um, driver of the day, everyone's expecting me to say Max Verstappen, although he was phenomenal. I'm going to give it to Yuki Sonoda, because yet again he proved he's worth his time in that seat. And his defensive uh, abilities against a Mercedes two weeks running. He's going to be a very, very, very good driver. If he can work on his overtaking, his general speed, he's going to be phenomenal. So, yeah, Yuki Tsunoda for me. Okay, well, that leaves me. Uh, I'm going to give it a 7.5. I'm going to use that that 0.5 that we're allowed now in F1 uh, to give it a 0.5. And people are expecting me to say Lewis, but I'm going to say Max Verstappen. Um, he shouldn't have won that race, in my opinion. Based on everything we saw, I'm not sure that he, many people would have won that. 
um, against a seven-time world champion, chomping on your bit, especially taking turn one. So it's Max Verstappen for me. What do you guys think about that? Did you expect me to say that? I think yeah. you knew you would have been made a pariah if you didn't say that. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm being legitimate. Him. I'm being legitimate. I, I thought you were going back to the sponsor again about something chomping on your bit. <laughs> well, talking about that, we have been sponsored... This podcast, rather, has been sponsored by Manscaped. Cal, what do you think of Manscaped? Uh, yeah, Manscaped and Mint. Um, I'm very happy with it. And I'm flying over to Sweden next week or the weekend after. No, it's next week now. Uh, to see the missus, so I'll be able to get feedback on what the missus thinks as well. Um, yeah, looking forward to that. By the way, whilst we're on the topic of Sweden... I don't usually do this, and I probably never will again, so consider yourself lucky. But there is a man in Sweden called Carl, and he has been listening to the show ever since Esme went over to Sweden to work there. And he bumped into Esme last week, and he actually said, I am loving the Formula Nerds podcast. Tell your boyfriend it's amazing. So I want to give a big shout-out to Carl. Thank you for listening, mate. The news roundup uh, show, yeah. I hear, is his special favourite. No, it's not. He hates you. He loves me. No, it is. It's it. definitely. It doesn't get many downloads. That show, Dan. It's, yeah, it's well, a bit like Bottas's. It's a bit like his uh, Bottas's oh, um, merch so sales. Though. That's so different, uh, don't they? No, Bottas's merch sales get a load of downloads from me and me alone. <laughs> the rest of the world's irrelevant. No, and, and a big thank you to all our listeners. You know, we 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 have a, a fairly spectacular uh, award that we may be up for, in, which we can share in, in, a f- in a few weeks' time. Not yet, but in a few weeks' time. Um, and it's only because of the people that listen to this podcast that that's made it possible. So um, a very special thank you from me and a special thank you to Dan for covering me when I can't be bothered to do it. Um, and Matt for being in America and getting up, do I recall once at, what was it, 3, 4 a.m.? 3 a.m. for Michael Italiano. Yeah. And you still had whiskey in your coffee. And that means that you are a friend of mine. Um, And do you know what? The Formula Nerds doesn't just all come together by itself. It's a massive team of people. There's there's 20. How how many of us are there now, Matt? (laughs) I don't know anymore. (laughs) There's, Uh, There's a lot of us. There's a lot of us all volunteering, putting in a lot of time behind the scenes to make all the articles, keep the Facebook group clean the way we all want it to be. Uh, we have a pretty awesome team, and we hope to bring you all more and better content going forward. So uh, we appreciate all the support. Every little bit counts and helps right now. Boys, please don't forget it's my birthday tomorrow, okay? Or today, if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, for me, your birthday was yesterday, so... so I know, you came around and, and pissed me off, so yeah, yeah you, you've won. <laughs> Your birthday's over in my eyes. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I've enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the American Grand Prix as well. Um, I hope we see more American Grand Prix. Are we next year, Matt? What, 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 what are they saying? We're seeing two American Grand Prix next year uh, with Miami on the calendar. Uh, I would just like to say a personal thank you to all the incredible fans, uh, both fans of the sport, a couple fans of the nerds, uh, everybody I ran into out there, uh, my new Austin family, as I call them. Uh, thank you for an incredible atmosphere. A uh, huge thank you to F1 Experiences uh, for putting on an amazing product there as well. But uh, I just want to see this momentum going forward in America. We need, we need more fans in the know 
learning, being passionate about and promoting the sport here in the States because it only benefits the sport as a whole in the long run. Absolutely. So I will say the thank yous and goodbyes. Uh, Michael, our director of operations. Thank you very much, sir. No problems at all. Pleasure as always. Matthew Womack, our director of editorial. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you for putting it with my raccoon face. And (laughs) (laughs) that's always a fun time to be here. Uh, Callum, our director of social media. Thank you. Yeah, no worries, mate. Shout out to Cole. Thanks. And Dan, the News Roundup presenter and the breaking news journalist, correspondent, writer. Thank you very much, sir. Cheers. (laughs) He will see you in half a week. Yes, please listen to the News Roundup show (laughs) midweek. Please. Peace out.